May God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for the message comes from our Old Testament reading today. Let us pray. Oh God, we are broken. We need your healing this day, healing in our hearts and lives. And we pray that you bless us with your presence and your peace as we gather around your word. And may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our maker and our redeemer. Amen. Came across a, a, an article that talked about the, the shortest complete story in English. It's supposedly written by Ernest Hemingway, although that really cannot be verified. But it's interesting because it's only six words long. And this is what it says. It says, for sale, baby shoes, never used. That simplest of phrases and words contain pretty striking elements, don't they? Elements of death and loss, brokenness and a longing for peace. And it's a truth that really reaches into our hearts. Actor and comedian Jim Carrey says if we all acted the way that we really felt that four out of eight people at the dinner table would be sitting there crying their eyes out. Our world is broken. I'm sure that you know that already. You don't have to be a cynic to realize that we live in a broken world. After all, the signs of this brokenness are everywhere, aren't they? You just walk down or drive down the street and sooner or later you're going to come across scattered trash or on the road or in the gutter. You're going to see yards and properties that look like they're out of control as if there's no one there to clean up. You're going to drive around in your community or maybe going to places you've never really gone before. And you're going to see poverty and its effects. If you look at people, you, and you're going to see the brokenness of the world. It's the disheartened person who says, what's the use? I can't get a job no matter how hard I try. Or the young mother standing at the grave of her husband who took his own life saying, where in the world do I go from here? Someone as they look in our world and, 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 and they're not sure about trusting anyone anymore. Maybe it's the parent standing beside the bedside of their child as they continue to endure these cancer treatments. Maybe it's the person who feels as though injustice is rampant and unchecked or, or uh, another person who feels that the very fabric of law and order is being torn apart and lawlessness is unchecked. A patient who might be facing a, another round of bad news says, I just can't take it anymore. I don't see any hope for the future. Or the young husband who says, I, I, I thought we had a great life together. She just up and left me for somebody else. Or the young person suffering a nervous breakdown saying, I just want to end it all. If you listen to the news, the news reports or podcasts. As you read the headlines, as you watch the videos, you can sum it all up with just one word, brokenness. Brokenness, that, that is all that gets reported, isn't it? It seems that everything that's newsworthy proclaims how broken our world is. 
And, and with just a little reflection and honesty, we can see that this brokenness isn't something that affects everybody else except us. Whether we are Christian or not, we are all part of this brokenness ourselves. We share in this brokenness in some way. We, we are all wounded by this brokenness. We're all part of the hurt that this brokenness causes others. And the hard part is, is that this really isn't the way God planned things to be. When God created the world and he created everything in it, everything was good. Everything was perfect. There wasn't any sign of, of brokenness or disharmony. First people were, that were created were completely at one with God. But then things changed. They changed in a sad series of events that caused God to come looking for Adam and Eve. They had never really hidden from God before. Something happened that caused them to be anxious and upset about entering God's presence. They knew they had sinned. They knew that they had disobeyed God. They knew that they had broken their relationship with God. They knew it all. They were anxious about God's response to their disobedience, and so they hid from him. And the bad feelings they had about what they had done wrong made them want to run away from God and hide. I th think we can all understand that. When we have done something that causes us to feel guilty, I think we wish we could hide. We might stop coming to church. We might uh, avoid seeing other people especially those people who know what we've done. And so this beautiful harmony that, God, harmony that God has created in the beginning, it's suddenly shattered. Adam and Eve, they, 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 walked, they had walked with God, they had talked with him. He had given them a good song to sing in the opening chorus of the song of creation, and they joyfully played that role. They named the animals. They, they shared the care and caring of God's world. They knew God as no one else since. Hiding, fear, and shame, those things were unknown to them. But now it was all different. There was this oppressive darkness that had settled over them. They fled from God like frightened mice. No longer did they run out to meet him. Instead, they ran to hide from him. And it's at this point that we see the kind of God that we have. He's a loving father who searches for his children. A loving father who calls out with a great deal of longing and, anxi and anxiety for those who are lost and, and then goes out after them. Like a father who travels the length and breadth of a country looking for a lost son. I came across a story about a movie. A movie's titled The... Uh, the Water Diviner. I've never really seen it. And, it. and what I was reading about said it's about an Australian farmer, a Joshua Connor, who allows his, his three sons to enlist uh, into, uh, in, to serve in World War I for Australia. All three of them are together at the Battle of Gallipoli. All three of them go missing. All three are presumed dead. The movie begins four years after their disappearance. And Connor's wife just really can't handle the loss, and so she drowns herself early in the movie. Connor buries her, 
promising at her grave that he'll bring her boys home and bury them next to her. As a water diviner, maybe you know that with a the, with the stick there, someone who finds those sources of water in a dry climate, he said, said that he possesses this innate ability to sense what other people can't. And so he applies that sense to the problem of finding his lost sons. A three-month journey took him to Istanbul, and from there he bribes a fishing boat captain to transport him to Gallipoli against the wishes of the British Army because they were there trying to find and properly bury their war debt. Possessing nothing but his older son's diary and the knowledge of the day that his sons disappeared, he's convinced that he can find them. An officer who was present at the battle, Major, Major Issans, is the only one who takes Connor seriously. And the officer in charge had already planned for a supply ship to take him back to Istanbul, and, and he's content to see him sort of just sit on the beach in the meantime. But there's a telling scene that unfolds when the Major, Major Issan, asks the British officer why they won't help Connor find his sons. And the officer shoots back, saying, he can't go about helping every father who won't stay put. And he says, let the authorities handle the matter. But the major replies, saying, yes, but he is the only father who came looking. Such is the father's love. In the same way, the father of all fathers came into the garden looking for Adam and Eve. He came with nothing but a loving heart. He came to help them in their predicament. And he's prepared to do anything for his children because he's no, he really knows what has happened, right? He knows the action of his children. He knows that they have been hurt and he wants to help. For the loving father, this is that reflex action. Just like any parent, when a child is hurting or in danger, love demands that something must be done about it. That day in the garden, that reflex action of God urged him to call out to his children in trouble, saying, where are you? And God still calls out to you and me, where are you? He wants to heal all those that are afflicted by the brokenness that sin has brought into their lives. And he wants to restore us to a happy life and a peace-filled life. But it cost him dearly. It cost him the life of his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ is God reaching out from eternity to pay that price for sin and brokenness, coming to heal the brokenness of our world and our lives, to make us one with him again. You can see it again and again throughout Jesus' life. One minute he's, he's healing a, a crippled and broken man beside the pool of Bethsaida. The, the, the next minute, there's some quiet words to a woman whose life is broken by immorality. One minute he's talking with a broken-hearted father uh, whose son is dying. The next, he's comforting a, a broken, spirited thief beside him on the cross. And that's where he has broken himself, on the cross, giving his life to heal all the brokenness that's there in your life and mine, in the life of anyone who's prepared to trust in the Lord and for the healing that he's able to give. Broken people need brand new lives, don't they? They need lives that are brand new. Lives that are brand new in Jesus Christ. He is the one that is reaching out to you and me with his love and forgiveness.
and he offers to repair what is broken in your life and make you new and whole again. Can you imagine what this healing that Jesus gives means for our everyday lives? Let's just think about what cropped up in our text that I talked about at the very beginning, this whole problem of, of stress and anxiety. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were worried. They hid because they were anxious about God's response to what they had done. They knew they had disobeyed, and they knew that they were stressed out and worried about God's reaction. Stress was a new experience for them, and they didn't like it. Their own relationship with one another became stressful, and they realized that that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together to make clothing. This brought the stress of how they looked to the other person, especially now that they were naked. This this sudden realization of shame caused them anxiety. Adam and Eve are people just like you and me. It's not too hard to imagine what's going on inside of them as they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They were stressed out. They were stressed out as they heard God approaching and, 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 and the stress is a whole new thing for them to deal with, and they really didn't like it. And, and just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we get stressed out, right? We get anxious because we live in a broken world. In fact, we live in a world that exploits our anxiety. Just watch the ads on TV and see how they use anxiety and fear and stress to sell their products. Just think of the last few months where this feeling of fear and anxiety had been whipped up so much that it causes people to to lock themselves up and be afraid to even get near people. What are your fears? What are your anxieties? What are the things keeping you up at night? What are the things unsettling your stomach? What has you so conflicted that you lose your temper? Our text tells us of a God who comes calling, where are you? And it doesn't matter whether we are stressed out about our sin or stressed out about our relationship with other people. It doesn't matter whether we're stressed out about how we see ourselves or stressed out about the current crisis with which we're dealing. God is calling you and me. He's calling us like a loving father, ready to heal the brokenness that is at the root of our anxiety. And he is here to assure you and me that everything is all right because of Jesus and his death on the cross. You know, this reading from Genesis is one that we often hear at the beginning of Lent. It reminds us that sin is an ever-present problem in our lives, and that sin, and it shames us in the same way that it shamed Adam and Eve. Sin makes us want to hide, to lurk in the shadows, because we feel that we have let God down so badly. A lot of times we're not proud of what we've done, what we have said, what we have thought. We've let ourselves and we have let Jesus down, and he is the one who has given so much for us, and we have only given him disappointment in return. In a Washington Post article in 2018, it introduces you to a a pediatric neurosurgeon in Halifax, Nova Scotia, 
named Daniel McNeely. He was really uh, experienced at fielding questions from nervous and anxious patients and parents. But it was a first for him when an eight-year-old patient uh, had a specific request uh, as he was being wheeled to surgery, clutching a stuffed animal. He asked, my bear is ripped. Would you please stitch him up? The boy named Jackson McKee, he had a cyst on his brain and a chronic condition called hydrocephalus. The surgery was to drain fluid and relieve pressure on his brain. McNeely assured the boy that he would, and he took the task seriously after he performed the surgery on the boy's brain. He placed the bear on the table, put on blue gloves, used leftover stitches from the uh, boy's surgery to repair the underarm tear of the bear. Uh, But Jackson's father, Rick, uh, said his son was thrilled to wake up and and see his stuffed buddy, which he takes everywhere he goes, had been stitched up just like him. McKee said that his family deeply appreciated the doctor's medical care as well as that human touch. And he said, "When, when we get there, we're terrified to death. But every time we talk to Dr. Neely, we feel better in our anxiousness and brokenness. We're blessed by the personal attention of the great physician, Jesus. He forgives our sins, but he also restores our lives by stitching up our brokenness. Every time we come here to worship, God calls, where are you? This is invitation to come to him. In repentance, give to him all that is stressing you out and let him renew you. He wants you as his own. He wants you to remain as his child. He wants to be your God. It's at the foot of the cross where you meet the gracious God who forgives. There at the cross, your life and mine, previously hidden in sin, become now hidden in Christ. That gives us lives that are full, lives that are free, free from sin and death, free to live in Christ, full and filled with his presence, his peace, and his forgiveness. In 2 Corinthians, we heard today, St. Paul writes, through Christ, God has changed us from enemies to his friends. Our message is that God was making all human beings his friends through Christ. We plead on Christ's behalf, let God change you from enemies to his friends. Notice the emphasis that Paul gives to the results of Jesus' death. We're changed. We're changed from God's enemy into his friends. We're given a new start. We come to worship and we hear the words of hope. We hear his word of promise and his word of forgiveness. We come to the Lord's table like we did last week. We hear words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Brokenness is comforted and healed. We gather here. We gather here and we stand in awe of what God has done for us to break down the walls of sin and hostility, which enables us, God and us, to be friends again. You know, nothing can compare to the drama that took place on Good Friday at Calvary 
when God's son was forsaken by the whole world and the heavenly father as the full force and the weight of humanity's sin fell on the one dying on the cross. But in Jesus, God offers you and me healing. Healing for the brokenness in our lives. So let's go forth today healed. Let's go forth restored in him. Amen. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.